All right, well, if you have your Bible, guess where we're going to be this morning? Hey, good job. So if you didn't know, we're in the book of James. We're doing a study through the book of James. If you're our guest today, again, you can, uh, you can go uh, catch up if you want. This is week three of our, our series on the book of James. If you don't have our church app, you can download our church app on the, in the app, Apple App Store, uh, the Google Play. Uh, you can also go on our website, uh, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Vimeo, all of those have uh, podcasts. has all of our messages. So if you missed any of these, the last two weeks or any other uh, a sermon you want to go catch up on, you can. So we're going to be in James chapter 1, verse 19. We're going to finish out chapter 1 today. Excuse me, and then we're going to continue on. So uh, week 1, I talked about turning triumph into uh, trouble, turning trouble into triumph. James talked about that, and so we looked at that and how we can go, we go through trials and testings with how we can turn that into triumph. Then last week, we talked about how to handle temptation. We talked about temptation to sin, what temptation was, what it wasn't. God doesn't tempt us, right? Week one, we saw God will test us, but God does not tempt us, right? We talked about where temptation comes from, where it leads, and so again, if you wasn't here, you can go check that out. And again, I also want to encourage you to prayerfully and slowly, methodically read through the book of James uh, as we're going through this series as well, as, as part of your, your your maybe morning reading time or whenever you read the Bible. If you don't read the Bible on a regular basis, this would be a great time to start, and you can jump into the book of James with us as we're going through it. So James chapter 1, verse 19 in the first service, in about midway through my message, I said, okay, so now we're at James chapter 12. If you know, there's only five chapters in the book of James, right? I combined verse one and it was 26 and my brain took the colon out and said verse 12. So amen. All right. James chapter one, verse 19, it says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. Let me stop here and ask, how many of y'all have all three of those licked like you have it down pat? Okay, good. I'm in, I'm in good company then, right? It says, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it is, the, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourselves and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we see here, we don't want to just be hearers of your word today, Lord. We want to be doers. We want to do what you're telling us to do in your word. So Holy Spirit, help me as I preach and help all of us as we hear the word to not only receive it, uh, but to apply it and to live it out in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? The emphasis in this section is on the dangers of self-deception or, or fooling yourself, right? The, some translation use the phrase, uh, you're only deceiving yourself. But we see here twice, it says if you do two different things or don't do, you're only fooling yourself. So today, as we close up the first chapter of the book of James, I titled this message, and it's a question for you, are you fooling yourself? If a believer sins because Satan deceives him, like we talked about last week, it's one thing. But if you deceive yourself, it's an even more serious thing. 
See, for example, many people deceive, are deceiving themselves thinking that they are saved and going to heaven when they're really not. And Jesus addresses this in Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Jesus said on judgment day, many will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. Jesus speaking says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. You see that? They deceived themselves into thinking they were saved and going to heaven because they even did works in God's name. But yet they were deceiving themselves. See, there are true believers who really are saved, but are fooling themselves concerning their walk with the Lord. They think they're growing in their faith and producing spiritual fruit, but they are not. See, it's the mark of maturity when a person looks at himself, honestly, takes spiritual inventory, and knows what's really going on in life. And if this is your first time here, I talked about in week one about spiritual maturity. That's the theme. That's the overall theme of the book of James. That's what he's dealing with in the early church right here in these five chapters is they having all kind of problems because they wasn't maturing spiritually. So you see the results, this results from a proper relationship with God through his word. God's word is true, and if we are rightly related to his word, we cannot be deceived. We won't deceive ourselves, dishonest, or hypocritical. So in these few verses of scripture we just read, James says that we have three responsibilities towards God's word. If we fulfill these responsibilities, we will have a faithful and fruitful relationship with God and an honest evaluation of ourselves. Amen? So let's look at these three. Number one, accept the word into your heart. That's what James says in James chapter 119. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. We're going to deal with these in a minute. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all filth and even your life. Watch this. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your heart, for it has the power to save your souls. James says that God has planted, some translations say engrafted, the word of God in our heart. Jesus used the same illustration in Matthew 13 when he compares the word of God to seed and the, the human heart to soil. See, the word of God cannot work in our lives unless we receive it the right way. For example, too many people attend church services but never seem to grow spiritually. And that's what James was dealing with back then and even now. You know, they say 80% of America says they're Christian. I've said this before, and probably a lot of those attend church. Does America look 80% saved? No. So why is that? People are saying one thing, but they're doing something else, right? They, they've said they've accepted the Word of God, but, but they, they really haven't. It's not producing fruit. See, if the seed of the Word of God is planted in our hearts, is going to produce any fruit, then we must obey the instructions James gives us in the previous versions, right? So we've in times past, and it's true, we've, we've broken down the, a couple of those things. But this is in the context to receiving God's word the right way. So it would produce fruit. Let's go back to what James said. Verse 19, be quick to listen. See, some of you are going to go eat lunch after service. How many of y'all say, I'm probably going to eat lunch at a restaurant? Let me see your hand. I'm going to eat. All right. So, you know, you probably know this, but this illustration didn't work too good in the first service because early service probably won't have to wait. Sad to say, you may have to wait for a table at a restaurant, right? Right? Very possible. If you wouldn't eat for Mother's Day last week, you waited, right? I was going to the hospital to pray for John, by the way. Uh, John Peller was doing better. He went home like the next day or the day after. So praise the Lord for that. Yeah, amen. Uh, uh, John, one of our staff members. 
head of, of maintenance. Yeah, he's doing better. So I passed by a restaurant at almost 2 o'clock, and people were still waiting outside, right? It's like, man. So you can work on patience like James talks about, right? But if you go to that restaurant today, and they, they tell you to wait, you're going to have a wait, you're going to be quick to listen for your name when they call your name that your table's ready, right? I know when I go, especially you go to a restaurant, you're hungry, right? I'm like, I hear him call Brad, and I'm like, did they say Brandon? Did you say Brandy? Go up to the thing like, no, sir, I said Brad. Randy, did you say Brandon? No, sir, I said Randy, right? It's like, I'm quick to listen because I'm hungry, right? So that, that's a, that's a, that's part. I know they text you now and they give you the little vibrating things, but some restaurants may still call. Just as a mother listens for his baby's smallest cry, her baby's smallest cry, so the believer should be quick to listen to what God has to say, right? Quick to listen. What is God saying through his word, right? There's a great illustration of this. In the life of David. Second Samuel 23, David was hiding from the Philistines who had taken control of, of, of Bethlehem. It's like he was pinned down right by the enemy. He longed for a drink of water, cool water from the well at Bethlehem that he had often visited as a boy and he got water from it. He did not give a, a command to his men, but he says this in Second Samuel 23, 15. Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well of Bethlehem, by the Bethlehem gate. His three mighty men, his three mighty men heard the sigh of the king and they risked their lives, broke through enemy lines, went to that well, dipped some water out and brought it back to the king. That's a great example. They were quick to listen. Amen. They were quick to listen to their king. Come on, we need to be quick to listen to our king as well. Pastor Kelly was telling me my voice was kind of like like uh, scratchy the first service. And he said, he was thinking about coming and bring me water. He said, then you read that scripture. And I was like, Lord, am I supposed to go bring him some water? <laughs> I was like, but I appreciate the, the thought, you know. Right? But it's true. That's that's a great picture, isn't it? This is his king, his Lord. They called him the day his master. He didn't even give a command, but they were quick to listen to the desire of the king's heart. And they went to fulfill it, right? Also, we need to be slow to speak. Verse 19, we all have heard the saying, we have two ears and one mouth, right? Which means we must, we should listen more than we talk. Now, if you know me, I still struggle with this, right? Because I seem to talk a lot, right? If you know me. So, right, but we, it's true though. But in the context here, talking about being slow to speak, yes, I mean, this works if you married and you're, you're talking with your spouse or if y'all having, a, like we like to call a heated moment of fellowship, be, be slow to, Slow to speak and quick to listen. Listen to your spouse's heart and her life and what's going on. But also be slow to speak against the word of God. You know, sometimes we argue with God's word, if not audibly, at least in our hearts and in our mind. People argue with the truth of the word of God. That's not what that really means. That don't apply anymore. That was just a story from back in the day. And people uh, are, are quick to speak against the word of God. Here's an illustration of the lawyer in Luke 10, 29. Instead of being slow to speak, he argued with Jesus when Jesus was talking about loving your neighbor. He said, well, who's my neighbor? He was quick to speak to Jesus against the word that he was speaking. See, in the early church, just to give you a little history of the context this was written in, services were very informal. They weren't like they are today. Obviously, it was underground churches too. They were actually called catacombs. They had underground services, home churches. And so it was very informal. So when James was writing this, often the listener was debating the speaker as he was speaking the word. Could you imagine, right? I mean, if you want to talk to me about what I preach, just wait till after service, please. You can come talk to me after, but aren't you glad 10, 20, 15 people aren't, aren't standing up and, you know, trying to say something? And Pastor Kelly, I have to tell him, have a seat, sir. So a guy, a guy stood up on one time Pastor Kelly was preaching and he did a great job and authority and asked the guy to sit down. So, 
But that's what was the context. That's why James was writing this. There was even fights, and he says later, wars breaking out over words, right? So he must be quick to listen to the word, slow to speak against it or against others that are speaking, and then this one, slow to get angry. Now, I don't know about y'all. Again, all three of these, I often get these kind of mixed up, right? I'm, I'm quicker to speak. I'm, I'm not slow to hear, and then I'm, sometimes I'm quick to get angry, but I'm not alone. I know at least one guy who we see is a man of God and even wrote some of the Bible. His name's Peter in the garden. Peter was slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to get angry, right? He almost killed a man with a sword, sliced off his ear. I think he had bad aim. I don't think he was trying to cut his ear off, right? So, see, many fights, even today in church, are a result of sharp tempers and quick-cutting words. Just like Peter cut off his ear, we can cut people with our words when we get angry and lose our temper. I thought this was interesting. You ever thought about the word temper? I looked it up to see what it means. One of the meanings of the word temper is to bring a proper, suitable, or desirable state as by blending or by mixture. So, for example, temper is what helps steel get its strength. Did you know that? That's what temper is. So when you lose your temper, you lose your strength and your stability, right? I read a quote that said, temper is such a valuable thing, it's a shame to lose it. Isn't that good? Temper is such a valuable thing. Just as it can strengthen and hold still together, the Holy Spirit holds us together in the same way. And James warns us against getting angry at people or even God's word because it reveals the sin in our life, right? See, like a person who breaks a mirror because they don't like when they see in it, wouldn't that be ridiculous? People rebel against God's word because it tells them the truth about their sinfulness. That can't be what that means. That's for somebody else. No, that don't really mean that. That's old school. They get mad and rebel or quick to speak against God's word or get angry at it. There is a godly anger against sin, right? If we love the Lord, we should hate sin. Isn't that right? But a lot of things we get angry about does not produce God's righteousness. Like, for example, sad to say, I've lost my temper quite a few times. And I got my wife and two of my daughters there. And never when I've lost my temper and got angry has my family say, man, that's when you do that, I see Christ in you. They, I've never heard him say that. Like, wow, thanks, Dad. You're show, you're an example of a godly man. No, it that kind of anger does not produce righteousness. The, it's the righteousness of God, right? It's good to be angry against sin and 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 perversion and the things of the world. But you know what? We we got to be slow to anger. The Holy Spirit will help us with that. Again, in fact, anger is just the opposite of the patience God wants to produce in our lives. Again, here's that word: as we mature in Christ. Remember. See, spiritual maturity is slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to get angry. And then the last thing is a clean heart. Verse 21, he says, so get rid of all filth and evil in your life. Now, James is obviously talking about sin here. He uses the illustration of the human heart as a garden. So see, if a garden or flower bed is left unchecked, the soil will produce weeds. I still, I have some more weeds and some, some rogue grass growing in my flower beds right now. I didn't plant them. It's, 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 it's a little flower bed. It has canna lilies and some irises growing in them. And, and, and they, uh, I have not tended to them in a couple of weeks and, and I gotta go in there and pull the weeds again. See, he urges us to pull the weeds of sin out of our lives in order to prepare the soil for God's word to be planted in our hearts. Amen? See, the Lord will point these out through his word, and we must get rid of it completely out of our lives. And here's the thing about weeds, and if you know anything about it. Just a couple of months ago, there was a bunch of weeds right when spring started, you know, coming on, warm weather, and, and I pulled a bunch of weeds out of my flower bed. 
And then last week, I noticed there's some more there. That's the thing about weeds. They come back. And you got to keep checking on the soil to make sure there's nothing growing that ought not supposed to be there. It's the same with us, church. We got to continue through the mirror of, the, 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 of what we're going to look at, right? The word of God. We got to look at our hearts and make sure James is saying that there's no evil or wickedness in our heart and allow the Holy Spirit to deal with it. We must constantly check our hearts, right? Because just like plants and flowers have a hard time growing with weeds in the soil because it takes up the nourishment and all that, we will have a hard time growing the spiritual maturity if we have a cluttered heart, right? Even Jesus in Matthew 12 talks about that. That was one of the, the soils. They got choked out. The weeds, the worries of the world could even be sin. So how do we clean our hearts? Very simple. First, confess our sins. As First John 1, 9 says, confess your sins. If you confess your sins, God's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Then plow up. Ask the Lord through the Holy Spirit to plow up any hardness in your heart. You know, I've heard it said, and I love that. You know, one of the reasons we, we praise and we worship God before we get into the Word, someone said it like this, because praise and worship plows up the hard ground of our heart to allow the seed of the Word of God to be planted in it. Amen? That's why we do that. Amen? And so finally, we must have an attitude of humility, as James 1.21 says. Humbly receive the Word of God in our hearts. So let me just give you one more thing. Do not twist or allow anybody else to twist God's word to conform your own thinking. And that's, a, that's one way you accept the word in, in an ungodly way that James is warning. Is people, they try to conform the word to their thinking instead of their thinking being conformed to the word. If we do not receive the word in this way, James lays out, we're only deceiving ourselves. You're only fooling yourself. Amen. So we must accept the word now into our heart. And then here's where the rubber meets the road, where a lot of people, there's a disconnect. Number two, apply the word to your life. These points are just coming straight out of the scriptures that James has right here. James 1, 22 and 25. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Everybody say, do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. If you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. It's not enough to just hear the word or read the word. We must do what it says. See, many people have the idea just hearing a good sermon or hearing a good Bible study will produce spiritual maturity and growth. But that's not the case. This is a truth Jesus himself taught in John 13, 17. You've heard me say it and preach it quite often. Jesus said this, now that you know these things, God will bless you for what? Doing them. He doesn't say God will bless you for listening to them. He didn't say God will bless you for attending them. Now that you know the word, you hear the word, you read the word, the blessing and the growth comes from doing it, Jesus says. See, back then, again, here's a little history and context. Back then, James wrote this because reading the scriptures was a very part of, very important part of worship, like it still is today. But back then, most people could not read, and the copies of the word, which was the Old Testament, were not readily available. So they listened to the word being read during public worship. And we do as well, right? You come to church, you hear a message preached. But today, we have multiple ways of reading the scriptures ourselves. Some used to have your, your paper Bibles, right? Or you, now we have the Bible on every piece of mobile device known to man. 
We can download the Bible in different translations, different apps. We got Bible software with commentaries that we can use to study, right? So I want to encourage you to always do to read the word, which you need to. But more importantly, you must obey and apply it to your life. Or listen, reading does you no good. I don't know if I've ever said that before. If you read the Bible and don't apply it, it does you no good. Yes, you'll get head knowledge and you can quote scripture to kingdom come. But it's not going to do you any good. I love this quote. I found this while I was studying. It says this, too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. You say that again. Too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. They read it. They highlight. They underline. They say, whoo, that was good. Oh, my wife needs to hear that. Oh, my kids. That brother in church should read this, right? But it doesn't change. We gotta apply it to our own life. Let me, let me clarify. We have to apply it to our own life. See, in the previous paragraph, James compared the word to a seed. Now in this paragraph, he compares it to a mirror. We know the main purpose of a mirror, right? Is able to see yourself so you can walk out of the house clean, presentable, neat, right? I bet you 98, probably 99% of you checked the mirror. You looked at yourself in the mirror before you walked out, right? Right? Everybody did that this morning before leaving their house, right? So as we look into the mirror of God's word, we see who we really are. James mentioned several mistakes people make as they look into the mirror, which I would encourage you not to make the same mistakes as you look into God's mirror of his word. First, they merely glance at themselves in the mirror. They do not carefully study themselves as they read God's word. They just kind of walk by. If we just walk by and look this way at the mirror, glance on the way out, my hair might be sticking up on this side, right? Right? And I, I would never know it, right? No, many sincere believers will read the Bible for a chapter or so every day, but it's more like a religious exercise, and they fail to profit from it personally. It's more than just a glance. See, casual reading of the Bible will never reveal our deepest needs. It has to be an intent, not just a glance. It has to be a gaze. It has to be an intent. I'm studying the Bible to see what God has to say to me. Let me give it to you this way. It's the difference between taking a picture with your phone and an x-ray, right? There are two pictures, but one picture is way more in depth, right? The x-ray is looking inside of you and showing you everything going on on the inside. So we can read it like taking a picture on our phone, or we can go into it like we're looking at an x-ray. The second mistake is that they forget what they see. If you're looking deeply enough into your heart or asking the Lord to you, it would be unforgettable. You won't forget when God gives you a word. And you ever got a word and it has stuck to you for years, right? I was talking to Pastor Jacob about a word that the Lord gave me years ago when I was a young youth pastor. And I still quote it. I was an insecure youth pastor. I was struggling with like them things, like I was doing a good job. And I never forget, I could tell you where I was on campus when the Lord spoke to me and said, if you had more students, I wouldn't love you anymore. And if you had less, I wouldn't love you any less. That was spoken to me probably 15 years ago, and to this day it made a mark on me because it was unforgettable. God spoke to me about my insecurity and what I was feeling at the time. Look how God's saints responded to the truth, knowledge of their own hearts. Maybe it's sin, right? I mean, I was looking to myself and my own God had to, had to look into me and show me what was going on. It may be insecurity, inadequacy, and maybe sin. But look what some of the men of God, how they responded. Isaiah cried in Isaiah 6, 5. It's all over. I'm doomed. I am a sinful man. Peter fell down before Jesus and cried out in Luke 5, 8. Depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Job was the most Righteous man on the earth in his day, yet he confessed in Job 42, 6. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. They didn't take it lightly when God spoke to them. Amen? 
Amen? You're still with me? The third mistake is that people fail, again, as this whole point is to obey the word, what the word tells them to do. They think just hearing about the word is the same as doing, but it's not. Some Christians enjoy substituting reading for doing or even talking for doing. You can read the word and just because you talk about it a lot doesn't mean it's that you're doing it, right? And so that's the, that's, I'm trying to get you to move past surface and, and talk. If you're not mature and if you're not grown, it's probably because you're not applying God's word to your life. See, if we use God's mirror in the way he intended it, then we must look at it carefully with serious intent. Quick glances will not do. We must examine our own hearts and live in the light of God's word, right? David tells us that, that God's word is a light to our path. It's a lamp to guide us, but also it's a light to examine us, right? Just as you are in the doctor's office, there's a light for the examination table to see what's really going on inside of you. See, this requires time, attention, and severe, uh, sincere devotion. I- I'm sorry, church, but five minutes with God each day will not accomplish deep spiritual examination in our life. Think about a good doctor. If you have a really good doctor, he has two qualities that every good doctor will have. One, when you go into his office, he's going to spend the time he needs to examine you if you tell him that you're sick or you're hurting. He's going to spend time and talk to you. He's going to examine you. He's going to feel you. He's going to run tests on you to see what's going on in your body, right? That's the first thing. And the second thing every good doctor will do is he'll tell you the truth about what's really going on in your life. He would not be a good doctor if you had a severe illness a terminal illness, and you walk out and say, yeah, you just need to take some Advil, you'll be fine. And there would be something in your life that would be extremely harmful or maybe even deadly, right? Well, guess what? Jesus is the great physician. And he uses his word to examine us, but we have to give him that time so he can do the job that he's looking to do, right? Verse 25, James goes on and say that if we carefully look into the word and do what it says, we will be set free. Come on, somebody. This is the second part of our vision. First is know God, live free, find your purpose and make a difference. The way that you continue to live free is by continuing to apply the word of God to your life. Amen. And look, it, it's not the word of God. I'm talking about, yes, we must do what it says. It, it reveals sin and all that. But I just, I just thought in the first service, just to encourage you, look, you go to a mirror when, to, to make sure that everything's all right. So you, sometimes you look in the mirror and you say, man, I'm looking good, right? And you walk out, right? So sometimes the mirror might examine you and you get encouraged by the word. You may encourage that something that you're doing. The Lord wants to speak to you and encourage you, right? So whatever it is, whether it's conviction or a sin, something to do, which we're about to talk about, or it's an encouragement, come on, imply the word to your life. So our first responsibility is to accept the word into our heart. Then we must apply the word to our lives or we're only deceiving or fooling ourselves, which leads to the third responsibility, which is a close cousin. But number three is live out the word. We must accept the word, apply the word. That's more personally in our lives. Then we live out the word for and before others. James 1, 26, this is where I got James 12 earlier. James 1, 26 and 27 says this. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're only fooling yourselves and your religion is worthless. Come on, I love how James, he's a straight shooter, right? James ain't like holding no punches. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. The word religion here means the outward practice of service to God. And it's actually only used five times in the New Testament. Three times the word religion actually translates worshiping. Isn't that powerful? 
It's not religion the way we think about it today. It's either an act of service to God or worshiping, right? See, pure religion has nothing to do with church services, buildings, or special days and events. Pure religion, what James was saying, is practicing God's word by sharing it with others through speech, service, and separation from the world. That's what he meant by pure religion. So let's look at those three as we wrap it up today. Speech, in speech. There are many different references to speech in this letter, which shows that the tongue was a serious problem, right? And we're going to get into that later in the series in more detail, right? But he says that if you don't control your tongue, you're only fooling yourself. So we're going to get into that more later. But uh, the tongue obviously reveals the heart. Jesus says this in Matthew 12, that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So if the heart is right, your speech towards others will be right. And the motives of your service will be right, right? So you see, it, it all builds on each other. You accept God's word, then you apply what it says to your life. You get rid of what things in your life and whatnot, which we're going to hit on in a minute. And then you, you begin to speak God words, God's word to others so that the motivation is right to not only speak to them, but the second thing James mentions is service, right? 27 and 27a, we have to, we have to live out the word. We've seen, well, after we've seen ourselves and Christ in the mirror of the word of God, we must see others in their needs. See, he says orphans and widows. True religion is, is, is helping out serving orphans and widows. Orphans and widows were the most helpless members of society at the time James was writing this. They were dependent upon the care of others since their husband or father was the means of economic support. And I thought this was interesting. And social contact. It was their husband or their father that... They was the ones connected to even society and social living in the temple and stuff like that. In many cases, we know with orphans and widows, the truth is still today. See, as disciples of Christ, we're called to take care of the helpless. Now, we see specifically James writes orphans and widows. God has a heart for orphans and widows. And I know our founding pastor and even Pastor Todd before me had a, a huge heart for orphans and widows. I remember as Ms. Babs was in the first service, I, I was telling the story. I remember this. So my dad died when I was 90, in, in, in 97. So my mom was a widow. She was working here on staff as our receptionist. And uh, she would tell me that Brother Francis, quite often when he'd come to the office on his way out, he would always ask her. He'd say, Ms. Gail, are they taking care of you? And she'd say, yes, sir, they are. And he said, okay, if they're not, you make sure you let me know. See, he had a heart for the widows. He wanted to make sure my mom was being taken care of. And I didn't say it in the first service, but they've told the story. Even Brother Francis married an orphan. Miss Babs was an orphan, and that was one of the things that once he got saved, he, they didn't get married. They wasn't, he wasn't saved when they got married, but later he saw that, and even he believes God had him marry a, a, a little orphan girl as part of just seeing God's heart, right? And so our church, our founding pastor, Pastor Todd before me, this church has been a heart, a house that has a heart for orphans and widows. We've supported uh, uh, the ministry, Casa Hallelujah in Guatemala uh, for many, many years. That's, I mean, Mike and Daddy Clark have, have thousands of orphans go through there in Guatemala. But, you know, he mentioned specifically these two people groups, but really the principle behind it is anybody that's helpless. Anybody that needs help or needs us to serve him. And that's why we have served it. This week, I'm going to give you a sneak peek. This year, we're doing something a little different. We're calling it Serve Week. So we're going to have a whole week in the evenings where we're going to try to give you a project because it's, did you know this? It's really hot at the end of July in South Louisiana. Did you figure that out? So we're going to try to give you some projects in the evenings, and then we're going to start very early on the Saturday morning of Serve Day. And why do we do that? We don't just do that 
for another event to try to give you something to do in the summer. We do that because we understand if we're going to do what the word says and live it out, we're going to go serve people in our community we've never met that don't come to church and maybe never step foot in this church, but God's calling us to serve them, right? They have a need. They need help. We want to go love them in the name of Jesus. Speak the truth, but also show them. See, words have no are no substitute for the acts and love of our own personal service to them, right? So we have to speak it out and, and live it out to, to serve others. And then thirdly, the separation from the world. Look at what verse 27b says again, and refusing to let the world corrupt you, right? So the way we accept the word and apply the word is to, to share the word, serve others, and also not to let the world corrupt you, right? Earlier we talked about that, removing evil and, 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 and filth from our lives. The word, the word, the word world here, or the world, James with the Bible, it, it, it means uh, the society, or a society without God. Let me ask you again. Do you look around? Does it look like we live in a society primarily without God? Yes, right? So that's why we refer to it as the world. That's what that term means. So he's saying, don't let the world, a society that doesn't have God in their life or living for God, corrupt you. See, Satan is the prince, Satan is the prince of this world. And the lost are the children of this world. As children of God, we live in the world physically, but we are not of the world spiritually. So you see, we are sent into the world to win people to Christ. But it's only as we maintain our separation from the world that we can truly serve others and make an impact in others' lives. See, Satan tries to use the world to defile us, so be careful, right? Part of living the word is not getting defiled by the world. And if you do, Satan will tempt you, as we talked about last week, and here's the process, what can happen. First, you can become a friend of the world, as it says in James 4, which can lead to the love of the world, 1 John 2, which we if not careful, if we're not careful, we become conformed to this world, as Romans 12 says, and the result can be being condemned of the world, 1 Corinthians 11. Now, this condemning of the world does not suggest we lose our salvation, but that we can lose the reward that we've lived for. So when we're living out to serve others, we're going to have rewards in heaven. We'll have crowns in heaven, jewels, because of the things we've done. But if we get caught up in the world, become a friend of the world, love the world, be conformed, we can lose those rewards. See, Lot in the book of Genesis is an illustration of this principle and this process. First, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Then he moved into Sodom. Before long, Sodom moved into him. And he lost his testimony, even with his family. When judgment fell on Sodom, lost Lot lost everything. Abraham, on the other hand, he was a separated believer and a friend of God, and he had a greater ministry than Lot did because Lot was a friend of the world. Let me say this, church. It's not necessary for Christians to take part in worldly things to have a ministry to the world. I see this trend even with pastors over the years that they need to, they think they need to take part in sin and things of the world to be more effective to win the world. Let me remind you, Jesus was the sinless, spotless lamb, yet the Bible says he was a friend of sinners. Amen? We can live holy, be separated from the world, apart from the world, living in holiness and righteousness, and actually that's the most effective way to win the world. The world don't, the, it, it, I believe it's hypocritical. People say, yeah, but we're just trying to connect with them. No, I believe when you're speaking the word and, and you have the truth of the word, but you're acting like the world, they see it as being hypocritical. I believe whenever you live what we speak and what we teach and what we hear and what we read, it's more impact. I know it is because Jesus is our example, right? The sinless, spotless lamb, yet without sin, and he was a friend of sinners. He ate with sinners. He, he loved on them, and he was impactful because he lived a pure and holy life 
but show that he loved them and speak the truth to them. Amen? So the best way to minister to the needs of the world is to be undefiled by the world. Amen? So in closing, three questions for you to go along these three points that James talks about. Have you accepted the word of God and the truth of the gospel in your heart? James 1.21, again, it says, Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. My question to you as I started with, are you fooling yourself, is are you saved? you remember I read the scripture at the beginning? Jesus said there's some that have fooled themselves or deceived themselves into thinking that they're saved and that they're going to go to heaven when they die. Maybe they even were performing miracles, the Bible says. And Jesus said, depart from me. Even hearing the word week in and week out, coming to church, doing good deeds, all these things doesn't necessarily mean that you're saved. The Bible says you get saved when you repent of your sins, you trust in Christ, and you surrender your life to him. And I often say it, you know, you'll know. The Bible says the Holy Spirit seals us with salvation. You know, I mess up a lot. I still, you know, do things that I shouldn't. I still, you know, fall short, all these things. But I know that I'm saved, not because I'm a pastor, because of what Christ did. Because I've trusted Christ and know that he died for our sins, past, present, and future. So when you put your faith and you trust in him, you can know that you're saved. Amen? When you receive the word of the gospel, which is that we've all sinned and fall short of God's glorious presence. Glorious standard, right? You can compare yourself to somebody else's standard, but when Romans says we fall short of God's glorious standard, compared to God, all of us have sinned, we've all broken God's laws, and the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. We know that word death means eternal death because he says the free gift is eternal life. And we know that Jesus died for us. Remember I talked about there's children of the world or, or actually children of the devil. Jesus himself said that. Jesus said, you are, he said, I'm a, I'm a son of God and you are a son of the devil. Not everybody on this earth is a child of God. God loves everybody. They're a creation of God. We know that, that, that Jesus, uh, that Jesus died for all of us because of John 3.16. God so loved the world. He loves everybody, wants everybody saved. For whoever would believe in him would not perish, but again, have everlasting life. So where are you at? Are you confident that when you breathe your life, what if you got a, a report? that we prayed about earlier, something like that, where would you be spending your eternity? Are you deceiving yourself? Do you, do you need to make sure and know that you're saved today? If that's, I want everybody to bow your head and just close your eyes with me. If that's you today, say, Brandon, I, I, you know, I thought that I was good, man. I thought coming to church and doing good things, even read my Bible sometimes. But you know right now, if I say if today was your last day on this planet, if you breathe your last in just the next few minutes, where would you spend eternity? We're all going to spend eternity somewhere. We're going to cross over, and we will spend eternity either separated from God, which is hell, or we're going to spend eternity in heaven in the glory of God. If you would say, Brandon, I'm not 100% sure if I'm saved. Maybe I've been fooling myself. I think I have been fooling myself. But today, I want to make sure I want to repent and give my life to Christ. If that's you, just slip up your hand, and we're going to pray with you this morning. I see hands going up. Come on, keep your hand up for me. Those of you in the middle with your hand up. Anybody else over here on my left? Amen. Thank you, Lord. On my right, hands still going up. Amen. Over here in the back, hands going up. Praise you, Jesus. Anybody else right here, ma'am? I see your hand. Hands still going up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, receive the word of God in your heart today. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, that word believe is the same as John 3.16. Believe means to trust. Trust in your heart. 
and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, shall be saved. Come on, can we all praise together? Those of you that raise your hand and those of us that are already children of God, let's pray. Lord Jesus, come on, repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying in my place. Lord, I know that I've sinned and I repent of my sin. I ask you, Lord, to please forgive me. I turn to you today and I surrender my life and my all. Now, Lord, give me the grace and the strength to live for you, to accept your word, to obey your word, and to live it out all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give these a round of applause. Let's celebrate with them. Congratulations. God bless y'all. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or first time in a long time, uh, fill out the connection card in the chair in front of you. Bring it to the info center. We got a Bible for you. We want to pray for you. Why don't the rest of us stand? I want to pray through these other two things right now. Come on. How many of you would say, man, I need help. I don't always apply everything I read. Or maybe it's saying, man, I want to be more effective in living it out. Speaking to others about Jesus, serving others. And maybe you, you need to repent today. You say, man, I've allowed the world to corrupt me. I've let in some things. Or maybe uh, I, I, I've tried to connect with people by taking part in the world. And maybe you need to repent. Come on, if you say, Brandon, I have one of those three things that I need to pray for. Just lift up your hand. I want to pray for you right now. Let's all pray together. Come on, let's ask the Lord. Lord, would you help us? Give us the grace, Holy Spirit, to apply everything that we read in your word. Lord, we want to not only be hearers and readers of the word, we want to be doers. We want to apply it to our lives. We don't want to be like the man that looks in the mirror or just glances and forgets what we're looking at. But Lord, we want to apply it. When you shine the light of conviction or even encourage our direction in our lives. Give us the grace to apply. Now, Lord, help us to live it out every day, to speak to others about the truth of the gospel, to speak the truth in love. Lord, help us to serve others with the right heart, with the right motives, Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, come on, now you may need to, you may need to repent and ask the Lord to forgive you. Confess any sin. Maybe you've allowed things from the world into your life. Come on, let's live a whole clean and pure, holy life. Let's ask the Lord to forgive us, Lord. If there's anything in our lives we've allowed into any defilement, any any filthy, unclean, evil thing, any corruption from the world. Lord, we repent today and we want to lift up holy hands before you so we can be effective in our walk, in our life, in our ministry, but also live pure, holy, and upright before you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do in our lives today. It's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Well, God bless you. If you need specific prayer for anything, we'll be up here uh, at the altar. If not, grads, congratulations. Y'all have a great day and enjoy.